We're back. Welcome to a brand new season of On the Continent. I'm Dotton Adibayo. I'm Andy Brassel. And I'm Lars Dotton. After the summer recess, it's business unusual for Barca. How are they going to make their wage bill ends meet? And will the sums add up to that La Liga title, or is that Atletico's to lose? Disposable cash is also an issue for all the teams in the French League and all the teams that is except for Anne, PSG. Is the season over before it's big An? And Zagreb, Piraeus, Glasgow and Bern in Switzerland, the Champions League is back and we're following it to the parts of Europe others fail to reach. Should we start off with Barcelona? What a season it's going to be for them. I'm going to leave Lars for a moment because he's going to tell them that <laughs> annual income, £20, annual expenditure, £20, <laughs> and sixpence result disaster. But first, Andy, they're in a mess, but it's been a long time coming. Yeah, it has. And I, I think you're absolutely right, Dotton, at the start of this the dawn of this new season to let the last financial rageometer um, bob up to the appropriate level before we uh, get stuck in. But yeah, it has been coming for a while. And um, as we've said before, um, it's an extraordinary situation where the best player in the world and the best player of his generation, possibly the best player of all time is out of contract and everything's deadlocked. Not only a Barcelona not signing him, but no one else is signing him either because the financial commitment required is just too much in these times. Now, a lot has been made of Barcelona's current problems being in these times. Um, this was coming for a long time, as, as, as you said. Um, the Bartomeu uh, reign was um, a mess, a financial disaster, um, because they never knew when to say, or he never knew when to say no to players. So obviously so much has been made of the enormous amount that Messi has been earning and he seems to have agreed a new contract that he'll be ready to sign at at least a 50% pay cut, um, which will be stretched over a a rather longer length of deal than you would expect a player of, of, of his age to get. But they're, that they they would have been almost okay with that amount, even though it's eye popping amounts that we're talking about for Leo Messi. It's at least partly commensurate with the sort of status he has as the greatest. If you pay your other players sensibly, that's fine. I think if you look at Bayern when they said no to when Pep Guardiola said to Tony Kroos, we're going to have to let you go because we can't pay everyone ten million a year when you when you go back. Um, six or seven years when you even when you look at and obviously they always hate to be compared to to Real Madrid but when you go back to the first Galacticos era when they were saying okay well if we're paying Figo Beckham uh, Zidane um, six million a year then you're going to have to have your um, Raul Bravo and your Ruben on 150,000 a year and I, I was there when Emilio Butragueno um the great Emilio Butragueño, who's then the sporting director of the club, earnestly told me in a room overlooking the pitch at the Bernabeu that, well, these guys are in the team because they they tell the superstars what Real Madrid is about and what the town is about and what the history of the club is about. 
it's fine to say you need to balance the books as well. And that was a huge part of it. But Barcelona never managed to do that. To Stegen, Busquets, Alba, all these players were given the wages they wanted and in some cases more. And this is a huge problem because, of course, as we've discussed, Lars, this is the worst ever environment in which to get rid of your fringe players, especially when they're on huge wages, because who else is going to take them? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not going to go back to the whole, just spend less than We did that, and that's fine. I think we all understand that. I think it's worth pointing out that sometimes it can be difficult. Uh, a really interesting example of why how Barcelona got to where they are uh, we can go to Munich to see because because Bayern have had to they've had to let uh, David Alaba go. Then uh, you know they they could have theoretically found the money to give him the kind of contract he wanted, but they had to put their foot down and say, "Listen, if we if we hand out those sort of contracts again, we'll end up like Barcelona." Um, but we're also seeing now this summer. Leon Goretzka being linked to moves away, you know, players reportedly being disgruntled because they put Leroy Sané on too much money. I mean, when they brought Sané in, uh, they really pushed the boat out and, and they made him one of the top earners. And he's been slightly disappointing in his first season. So now you have like Kingsley Coman and Serge Gnabry who play and, and are as productive for them as he is in the same position. We feel like, hey, why am I not making that money? You know, Goretzka, who's a key player for them, when he's meant to renew his contract, he'll look at Sané and say, hey, I want that. So, so this sort of thing, it's difficult to manage let's be clear on this but it's just clear like Andy was just saying at Barcelona there are just too many players that have been put on too high a salary which is I guess something that can happen when you're very successful like when you have players who like Busquets who've been part of one of the greatest club teams ever and is such a big part of that club and he goes to the board and says hey look you do make tons of money every year I can see the balance sheet you know give me give me a big salary you understand why you end up in that situation but then there's also stuff like like they've spent the last three years, they've had an average outlay of over three hundred million euros per summer in terms of player spending. That's just the transfer yeah, phase. Yeah, of bringing in you know Coutinho and and Dembele and bringing in Griezmann and all these guys who who've not really fitted in. Right, they they've raised some by by sales as well, but I mean the, the numbers are quite dire, and what we're looking at now. Is, I mean, we're still waiting because listeners might be aware. I mean, we have pretty savvy listeners on this pod, but I mean, the way the financial controls work in La Liga, they're different to FFP. FFP, as we know it, is, you know, UEFA or in England, the Premier League, of course, will sort of look at your books retrospectively and see, oh, did you did you spend more than you were supposed to? Ah, and they have a look at it. Whereas in La Liga, what they do is that the the the, the league will will project into the future, and you know you will hand in financial data to the league, and they will analyze this and come up with a number that is the 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 highest number you'll be allowed to spend going forward. It's like in France, it's can you meet your obligations, yeah. basically. So they're preempting this instead of, you know, I guess they realise clubs will find it easier to ask for forgiveness than permission in, if they, <laughs> you know, without, without naming specific clubs. But, yeah. um, well, we are naming a specific <laughs> club by doing this section, but, yeah, 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 but carry yeah, yeah, on. Exactly right. So, um, so the, that number hasn't been, the number for next season for Barcelona hasn't been made public. But what's been reported is that their salary cap for next year could be uh, as low as 200 million euros or even 160 million euros a year. Now, that's a pretty abstract number if you're, if you're listening to this, but just by point of comparison, 160 million euros a year is roughly what Crystal Palace are spending on their wages. 
200 million euros a year is roughly what Tottenham are spending, slightly more than what Everton are spending. This is the sort of territory Barcelona could be forced to, to trim their wage bill down to, which is a really hard thing to do in a summer where, again, no one wants to take on big contracts. And, and and especially, again, I mentioned Dembele, Griezmann and, and Coutinho. Like, all of these are players I'm sure Barcelona would be happy to move on now. But getting a transfer fee for them is going to be hard enough. Getting someone to take the entirety of the contracts they're on, it's going to be very hard. This is the business side, and it is difficult to change business culture as it is to change football culture. But the, the remaining question is whether whatever they do or what do they need to do to achieve their purpose, which is to win La Liga? What do they need to do? Can they, in the mess that they're in, have a chance at really being title contenders? Well, what they need to do first is make sure the players they have signed, so Memphis, Aguero, Emerson Royale, Eric Garcia, are actually allowed to play for them next season because they're in a position at the moment where they can't register them with La Liga for the, for, for the, for the campaign because they don't have the money to do so. And these are players who they've actually signed. And, you know, they're faced with the prospect. If they don't create the, the necessary room on the wage bill to get them in, to just having to leave them out of the squad. That's mad. So, That's you, you know, you know, they'd be paying them to do nothing. I, I mean, there, there, there was... There was a suggestion in France that you know maybe Leon would take Memphis back if Barcelona couldn't afford him. We're not at that point, but basically they're going to have to make some really tough decisions because, as Lars was saying, there's a lot of high earners they want to get rid of, but like the two major ones that we've heard of, and Coutinho is too rich for the taste of many. Uh, Usman Dembélé is currently injured, and he will be injured until probably what November. And you're really looking at Antoine Griezmann, who in normal circumstances they would like to keep, I, I, I think, but they, they really can't because his wages are quite enormous and he, he has value out there on the market. And Miralem Pjanic, who was bought for 60 million initial fee last, last season and it really hasn't worked out at all and Ronald Koeman clearly doesn't fancy him. Now, there are possibilities for them to go back to their former clubs. Of course, we've heard a lot about a potential swap between Antoine Griezmann and Saul of, of, of Atletico, which I think in, in footballing terms would perhaps suit both clubs. It would suit Atletico a, a lot more um, than it would suit Barcelona. And as Lars and I have discussed, wouldn't it be an interesting little twist that in... Um, helping Barcelona out in a, in a funny way. Barcelona would be giving Atletico the striker they need to win the league for a second successive season. Indeed. indeed. But, but I think with both that and the possibility, possibility of Pjanic going back to Juventus, Atletico and Juventus are more than aware that Barcelona need these deals more than they do. Mm. So mm. at the current wages, they can say, we can't pay that, and Barcelona can posture and say, "Well, we can't, we can't, um, uh, we can't pay any of their wages if they go out." It's, it's coming like, to the point where they're gonna have to, if they want it, to, if they really want it to happen, they're gonna have to, and they're gonna have to swallow the fact that, you know, players who've still got a lot of transfer fee to be amortized, they're just gonna have to swallow those losses in order to gain some short-term liquidity. Otherwise, you're facing complete inertia. Uh, 
we do always encourage listeners to tweet us any questions that you have. Uh, you can tweet them to at Football Ramble, at Andy Brassel, at Lars Severson, or at Dotton Adibai. And we've got a tweet from Shabir Ahmed. Uh, this is, we kind of answered this, but I think there's slightly more to this than what we've said already. Uh, Shabir says, I'd love to get an update on the transfer situation at Barcelona and would be interested to know if and how they've sorted that situation out. It's not simply a question of they haven't, is it, Losh? It kind of is. Uh, I mean, most summers, that question would be, ooh, who are they going to sign? You know, who are they linking? <laughs> I mean, again, as we've said, right now, the transfer situation is mainly them trying to encourage people to go away and, and, and finding places they could go to so they don't end up having to like play five-a-side down at the beach all year because they haven't been registered. There's nothing else they can do. It, it, it's, it's an absolute mess. The upside for Barcelona is... You know, it's a it's sort of tacky old saying, but in every crisis there is an opportunity and there is some truth to that. Uh, because of this sort of disastrous financial situation, I think players like, you know, Pedri's going to be a key part of the team. He's going to play every every week. No one's going to displace him. Ansu Fati, when he's healthy and at his, at his best again, you know, he's going to get a lot of game time. You know, uh there are young players saying maybe this is the season Ricky Puig actually like gets some consistent game time and, and can be the player some of the Barcelona fans would, would like him to be uh, there are young players here and there is the core of a team that could be very very good uh, and, and I guess with some of these sort of slightly some of the more misguided purchases you know, trying to find a way of making them go away if they, they successfully do that there should be ample opportunities for some of the younger players I mean it's the worst possible summer for Pedri to be playing without a break yes seeing as no, he's that, that's um, an odd decision isn't uh, it? Leo Messi's partner of, of, of choice but again I think you look at Fatty and you look at Elish Moriba mm. and they've got a bit of an issue they're trying to agree a new contract with Elish at the moment who looked great when he came in at the start of, of last season and they should be the future of Barcelona they're also the most attractive potential signings and do they get to a point where as you said Dotton at the beginning the possibility of them winning the league I don't think is completely off the table if they can register these players they get the young bodies around them like Elish if they re-sign him because he's missed a bit of pre-season because of because of that and if Pedri's serviceable and Ricky Puig comes in then great but if I'm a big club I'm looking at Ansu Fati going I think I'll test the water there I, I know yeah, you, I, yeah. I know you need the money why yeah, not yeah. and how much they need the money they have this curtain raiser um, the Trofeo uh, Joan Gamper uh, after after their founder, which interestingly enough they're playing Juventus in as well. It was announced this week that they're going to have to play it behind closed doors, and they were thinking, well, normally you make six million from the tickets you sell for that, even though it's a, a, a pre-season friendly to all intents and purposes. With the reduced capacity, they would have made one point five million euros, and the headlines in the press in Catalonia are. Barcelona will miss out on 1.5 million. Mm. Uh, if they're at the point where they have to count what they're making from a 30% crowd in a friendly, you know they're counting every penny. Elephant in the room, do they actually need Messi? 
does Barca actually need Messi? I know greatest player of his generation and all of that, but even at a fifty percent pay cut, he is he is a baggage, isn't he? No, I, I see. This is the thing. He he's still you're still talking about like Andy was saying, possibly the best player of all time, who is such a key part of 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 the team, but also their image. I think. I mean, if you lose Messi, I think a lot of their commercial deals won't be worth quite as much as they are now. I mean, yeah. Uh, they're, they're, I, I think. You you find the money for him. That's not the problem. The problem is that you're you're stuck with all these other dudes who are good players. Like we're we're being quite disparaging. Well, I'm being quite disparaging of them in this show. Some of these are great footballers who've got a lot more good football in them. They they just need to. It's like the Gareth Bale thing. They just needs to do it somewhere else because currently the finances are not making sense. Messi, 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 for Messi, 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 for Messi, for more Messi, for more, 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 more. With Barca's problems in Spain, PSG in France must be looking at that and thinking, we are going to win the Champions League this season because them lot, you know, some of our big contenders anyway, uh, are having so many problems that, well, we'll walk over them. But PSG are in a league of their own in Ligue 1. They are, and I think we'll come to it in a, in a bit. I think domestically it's, it's, it's a potential issue. But... You know, I think they've realised the way the wind's blowing and they've made it um, their mission to like force home their advantage. And as you say, not just in domestic terms, but in European terms, because they've got to a final and a semi-final. They're close in terms of the Champions League without getting all the way there. And I think you look at the signings, um, Vijnaldum, uh, Hakimi, Donnarumma, all apart from Sergio Ramos, fill a need. I, I think um, of course there are some who will say well that extra bit of leadership won't do any harm to PSG M- maybe maybe not I mean it's already put Presnel Kimpembe's uh, nose out of joint um, oh no so, I think Sergio Ramos is signing yeah yeah. he's there just for leadership then not for well, well I, I think after the injuries he's had do, do you expect him to play all the games I'm not I'm not sure if he can and I think you know clearly Kimpembe, who I think there's there's a discussion over whether he's truly elite or not, but um, certainly in in terms of him being someone that they think they can get bang out of for years and years and years. I, I mean, clearly he's a, he's a he's a lot longer than Sergio Ramos. Competition is always going to be an issue at a club of this size, and I think it's something you can get past. But I can see all of those signings fill a need that maybe Ramos doesn't. It feels to me we're signing Sergio Ramos because we can sign Sergio Ramos. I I also feel, I get that, but doesn't it also give Pochettino a much more obvious option of going to three at the back? Because you've brought in Hakimi as well. Mm. who is notionally a right-back, but he's an extraordinarily attacking one. Yeah, well, and, Zidane didn't see that, did he? And has, no. yeah, has really played his best football as a wing-back. Yeah. And uh, the fact that you have three very, very good centre-halves mm. and, and, and one who, uh, you can imagine an ageing Sergio Ramos be very happy playing in a three where in, 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 in Liga when he's allowed to sort of roam around and do his thing a little bit. I mean, I don't, I don't just think it's about getting in the team. I think it's about um, dressing no, room hierarchy. I'm just saying, I think that's, that's, that's part it, of it. It gives Pochettino an, an option. But, but you're right, this has obviously been 
PSG's biggest problem maybe is how they react uh, when things go against them, mm. uh, and and has been very much been like like babies very often. Like they they react <laughs> terribly, and and getting someone in who probably won't stand for that sort of nonsense, you would imagine, uh, is uh, is good. No? Also, the, I think the feeling is that that the, the elephant in the room at the moment, uh, to use your phrase, is, is is Mbappe, because year left on his contract. I think there's a there's a misunderstanding, and maybe quite willful misunderstanding, in certain sections of 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 the Spanish media that well, if he doesn't sign again going into the last year of his contract, they're going to have to sell him to Real Madrid. They're the one club in the world that don't really have to worry about that because no one out there can give Mbappe the same amount of money. Can they? give him the sporting project that he wants as well. That's the question. That's the question that he needs answered. And they're doing their best to respond to that. Now, maybe the best signing of all these, I don't know what you think, Lars, maybe the best signing is Mauricio Pochettino getting that extra year for them to feel that, you know, there's focus on, there's not just players, but there's focus on the football side. There's a plan on how to develop that side. There's a plan to work on the younger players. There's a plan to create a proper structure and philosophy of playing. Because if I'm Mbappe, I think even if Real Madrid did have the means to sign me and PSG did have the will to sell me, which they definitely don't this summer, what can they surround me with? Because they haven't got that much money. I I take that, but I, I kind of want to put this question to you, Andy. As I know French football is very dear to your heart and league eyes is a league you follow And obviously P- PSG are as oh, well. Of course, of course. <laughs> but I don't want to be too insulting by suggesting maybe with Mbappe, is it not just part of just not wanting to play in France anymore? Like feeling like he's been there, he's won a bunch of titles, he's playing for this sort of unstoppable Death Star in that league, even though they did manage to stop themselves uh, last year. It, it, moving on to to Real Madrid or to wherever is just part of a career progression for him. Like in terms of becoming recognised as the best striker in the world, can you even be recognised as the best in the world while playing in France? I think there's good logic to that. I think there's also a sense of he's not that old. He's not making this decision when he's 26 or, or, or 27. To, to me, the best solution for him would be sign the Theo Walcott thing. Sign the midpoint deal. Don't commit for four years. Don't commit for five years. Sign for two years plus one Mm. or something, a a year's option or something like that. Because then you can let Real Madrid build themselves into closer to what you want to be. It feels to me as if it would be very unfulfilling playing there at the moment. The idea, the concept is fantastic. They cannot give him what he wants on a sporting level at the moment. I would want, if I was him, the sporting structure and the squad to be better when I arrived. And if he leaves that till he's 24, then what's the issue with that? Because he'll still be competitive for the Champions League in the meantime. It's it's a good point. I mean, we always think of Real Madrid as having this incredible pull, and of course they do. But the reality of it now is the question next season, do you want to play next to Neymar or do you want to play next to, to Bale and Hazard, I guess? I mean, this is mm. this is kind of where you're at. Yeah. And especially, and I also think the rumours of them looking at Paul Pogba are really interesting because that would be another move to me. Obviously, he's a player who would fit their team and their concept really well, but also someone who, who Mbappe might enjoy playing with. He seems to enjoy playing with them for the national team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the question is, it is quite a a difficult balance to convince him. And you talked about it when you you said, can he be recognised as the absolute best when he's still playing in France? 
if there was a season that had the potential to push you over the edge in that, t- t- that sort of thinking, it could be now. Mm. Because you look at the uncertainty over the TV deal. Of course, Nice and Ren are spending some money. No one else is able to spend any money without selling. Even Marseille are trying to make a splash. A lot of their signings, like Genghis Under, like Paul Lopez, like Matteo Genduzzi, I know it's yeah. exciting people. <laughs> I was making they're, a real splash. They're, well, their names, their names, they're, they're meant to have a certain effect, but they're all loans. And it's interesting here. We've got a tweet from Max, actually. He says, in all honesty, can Lille retain Liga on this season? Ready to be corrected on this, given I don't know much about him, but a quick look at Jocelyn Gorvenek's recent track record in management, e.g. a spell two at Gangon, doesn't inspire confidence. I, I, I would say that's fair, Max, because... The moment that Christophe Galtier leaves for, for, for Nice, they're shopping at a considerably lower level. And it's clear that Galtier performed miracles there. First in getting them to avoid relegation, then back in the Champions League, and then to win the title. He's built a good team, but can they be as good when clearly some elements are going to leave at some point, but also when they're being coached by... a someone who's nowhere near the same level of as, as Christophe Galtier. And it feels to me that, going back to your point, if PSG win the title by, say, 15, 20 points this season, maybe that's something that makes your mind up if, if, if you're Mbappe. I think it's a case of two projects at PSG, though, isn't it? There's one project, which is uh, Champions League, which I suppose is their destiny. That's the one that they really want, and that would keep Mbappe there, amongst other things. And then there is Ligue 1 still to consider. Uh, you mentioned a moment or two ago, Lash, that they had brought in um, you know, Sergio Ramos. You, you're not expecting him to play. I, I think he'll play the bigger games, and then maybe like if you're playing away to Nîmes or Strasbourg and you're going to get kicked around in the rain in November and you think maybe this we don't necessarily need... That's I mean, the he, fun bit. That's he, the pudding he, if he you're can, Sergio he, Ramos. He, he, he can have a <laughs> mysterious hamstring with Neymar. <laughs> but of those two projects, one is within their control if they make the right decisions, which is the Champions League, arguably, whereas the other one um, is all down to the TV deal, this TV thing that has but, gone so, so I, I, early I, up in I front. understand the thinking, but I would like to interject that. I don't think the Champions League can ever be a project because you're talking about such tiny sample sizes I, I think for I, I don't think it's possible I mean I don't know some some of them probably do I just think it's pure hubris I don't think you can go into a season and say our, our, our project our end goal is to win the Champions League here because at the end of the day you're talking about like a 50-55 game season and everything disappears because you can have 10 minutes where people switch off a bit in a semi-final and it's all done. And I, I think it's just not a healthy state of affairs for a club if you've decided that whatever else we do, if we don't win the Champions League, it's been bad. Like, it's, I agree. It just isn't rational. And for all the criticism of Leonardo, what he's understood really well is after, as we said, getting to a final and the semi-final in the last two years, we're in the right spot. Yeah, we're heading in the right direction yeah. because you you can't just say yeah because you had a poor half here or a bad draw there. You know, there's more chance involved than people would like to believe. Exactly right, and I think you can put yourself in a position where we're one of the best ten eight teams in the continent now, and we can reasonably expect to find ourselves in the quarterfinal semifinal. That's fine. But then when you get to that stage, the margins are so fine, like weird things can happen. Uh, I, 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 I kind of object to that. But I also don't know. 
you you were suggesting that maybe this is a season where because PSG are going to run away with it, we think uh, Mbappe might be recognised as the man. I I wonder if that could actually be counter effective. No, that was that was not my point. Actually, my point was the opposite. Is is this the point where he thinks I've done it all? Yeah, Fuck well, this. yeah, exactly. That was what I was saying. And I I think if if because of the TV deal. And the fact that everyone's in trouble financially, and the fact that really none—the future looks bleak. Yeah, I mean, there's no really none of the competitors look like thinking. I mean, and I'd delighted if I'm wrong. Like we have a team like Little last season, yeah. uh, maybe a Lyon resurgence, Andy. I don't know, uh, but, but realistically, no one looks like they can compete with them. They really should win the league at a counter, unless they have a lot of weird injuries or something. And, and Mbappe scores forty goals or whatever. People are just going to say, it's a terrible league. Like, it doesn't matter. So in terms of his quest as being recognized as the best forward in the world, I I think actually a a barnstorming, sort of utterly dominant PSG season might actually work against itself. Which seems like a bizarre thing to say out loud. Agreed. You know what I mean? Uh, Where are we at with the TV deal very quickly? Because last season, uh, basically, they didn't have the money to pay all these uh, clubs, did they? Oh, well, Amazon, Amazon have swooped in, which is quite an interesting part of that they've got 80% of the rights that were dropped by Media Pro when they they, they couldn't make the payments Um, they are paying less than half Amazon of what Media Pro were were paying which leaves us in the unusual position of being sports which also run PSG um, they had bought and sub-licensed the other 20% of rights to Canal Plus and Canal and being to a lesser extent, are very annoyed that they are paying more for the twenty percent than Amazon are paying for the eighty. So this is not this is not over by a long chalk. And with a couple of weeks just to go, well, less than a couple of weeks, week and a half to go until the opening weekend of the season, we don't know if the two biggest games of the weekend will actually be available to watch on TV. Incredibly, the Champions League is underway already, but it's <laughs> it's underway. I don't mean to it's be. It's been underway for a while. Yeah, Come on, indeed, indeed. While but, the while the Euros but, were still happening, it, it had started. It's it's underway in that stage where you have to get your map out to see where it's actually going to go on tour at the moment in places that you know we wouldn't normally talk about. Nevertheless, it is underway, and I suppose it's a great time to look at the second qualifying round and the second leg this week. Yeah, and um, a couple of big teams fall in already, as we mentioned on the mm-hmm. Ramble. Celtic and, and, and Galatasaray both go in completely unprepared for this. Their their teams are in such a state of flux at the moment. I know Celtic fans are kind of frothing at their board and there's a similar feeling in uh, Istanbul. That, about that first leg, Andy, did you watch that game? Because I missed it. PS, PSV Galatasaray. That was, the, the result was quite something. But... Galatasaray got off lightly with the five one. Ooh. They they were they were not they were not good. They weren't good in the second leg either, which I weren't able to play at the TT Arena because uh the the pitch is being done. So that's play at Bajak Shahir's stadium, which nicely enough is named after Fatih Tarim, but still not the ideal situation. There was a huge gap between uh PSV and Galatasaray. So Galatasaray is straight down, as we were saying, um into the Europa League with it's qualify with St. Johnston. Um, 
they've they've got a lot to do. Um, they've brought in a couple of fullbacks this week in uh, Sasha Boe and uh, Patrick Van Anholt that they really could have done with before. It's really difficult, I think, when at this stage in the season, clubs like this, and they are huge in their countries, uh, Galatasaray, Celtic, Dinamo Zagreb, Olympiacos, that you're playing matches that shape the whole destiny of your season mm. when you can't possibly be ready. Mm. Now, so much of that is down to the board and the recruiters at club to say, look, let's let's get everything sorted and let's make sure we have a serviceable team out there. It's really difficult because you have to start pre-season super early. You have to be at elite level to play these games of high importance, which you can't possibly be. But that's the same for all the clubs. It is, but for the biggest ones, it means so much more. So, you know, we saw um, uh, Pavel Verba, the um, the the coach of uh, Sparta Prague, sort of uh, doing somersaults on the pitch <laughs> after his team beat Rapid Vienna. But for Sparta Prague, if they're getting closer to a guaranteed Europa League place before we even talk about the Champions League, then that's fantastic. For Galatasaray or Celtic, when you get knocked out of the, 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 the Champions League before the group stages, it has a massive effect. And it clearly has a massive financial effect. And I guess that's half of the problem, isn't it, really, Lars? The fact that it's all very well for us to sit here and talk about planning and you need to have your ducks in a row and yeah. you need to have a good team ready. A, can those players actually be physically and mentally ready at this point in the season? And B, can you commit the money to the players knowing that you might not get the Champions League money at the end of it because in the second qualifying round, you're still absolutely miles off. Yeah, and the trick here is that for clubs from these um, lesser leagues, sounds weird, sounds bad, but from the smaller leagues around Europe. So less recognised? Yeah, less recognised. And financially less strong. Whenever you're successful enough to get into the Champions League qualifiers, it means you've had a really good year, which means that you've been under a lot of pressure to sell your best players. <laughs> you know, that's that just the way it goes. And funnily enough, you mentioned that they're not ready because it's coming early in the season. I get that. We kind of have a different problem in Norway uh, because uh, Bode Glimt went uh, in the last round and the, the first sort of qualifiers before this round mm. uh, against the Polish champions, uh, Legia Verso. Uh, their problem was they won the league ages ago like they won the league before Christmas you know they, they, mm. our, our league finished last year and, and when a team from Norway and particularly an outsider like Bode Glimt uh, surprise and do well what happens is they get picked off so they they won the league in Norway before Christmas and have since then lost their entire front three Jens Petrahaugi went to Milan um, and uh, Petr, and Zinkelager went to Watford and, uh, and and the striker, the Danish striker who really wanted to go somewhere went to Korea. I've completely forgotten his name now. That's terrible. Uh, but well, how how goes maybe moving again? That's how long ago they won the league, isn't it? Yeah, uh, so and, uh, he's been linked with uh, Eintracht Frankfurt. Absolutely, and 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 so they've lost their entire front three from the champion season. So now when they finally get. To um, <laughs> I'm not even going to look up his name because he he was nice about it. He was like, "Oh, I'm going to leave." He 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 went on strike. He sort of le- he left the team hotel when they were on a training camp in Spain because he wanted to force a move, and then he ended up in South Korea. So you know, off you go. I'm not, I'm not going to look up your name. Um, You're not, not eligible for a mention on on the no, continent anymore, mate. I'm cross with how that thing went down. But so yeah, so when they finally have a chance to, to maybe make it into the Champions League proper, or even just get one stage further, so that 
you're you know you have a shot at being guaranteed the group stage in the Europa League. The team that won the league has effectively been dismantled, and then and then that that makes it really really difficult for 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 the, for them, even though they should have the advantage of being in in the middle of a season. So that's really odd. Uh, next week is round three, and any interesting teams to think about for round three? At all? Well, um, we talked about Sparta Prague getting through. They're they're playing Monaco, who mm-hmm. again have been adapting their whole preseason to, to to playing this. They were the third place team in France. You've got Benfica versus Spartak Moscow, which is the Rui Vitoria derby. Rui Vitoria, who was great at Benfica, the coach has has just taken over. Uh, Spartak Moscow and caused a minor, minor civil war in the boards um, <laughs> there. But the, the early signs of uh, in pre-season were, were quite interesting in terms of them playing football, even though they lost on the opening day of the, the Russian Premier League. Um, Shakhtar Donetsk are getting yeah, involved. I think Rangers we're all, playing I think, Malmö. Yeah, Rangers playing Malmö. I think we're all watching Shakhtar because of the Roberto Di Zerbi thing. Uh, yeah. You know, his Sassuolo team last season was one of the more exciting sort of uh, hipster favourites of the continent. He's now gone to Shakhtar, which is an, an unusual move. And they've provided him with some resource, some quite funky yeah. signings. Lasina Traore is right from Ajax. Like, Definitely a team to look at if you're unsure what to switch on on the on the on the night. I'm obviously uh, intrigued by PSV versus FC Mitulon. Mitulon, mm. who uh, beat Celtic, were very very happy with that. I mean, they were the better team on the night, uh, and and. As as their uh, managing director said after the game a couple of years ago, we would have conceded a goal somewhere, but they managed to close it out because they're a team who are have a bit of European experience now. Who because they were in the group stage of the Champions League, they've brought in some money, so they've been able to reinvest a little bit. Uh, so they then perhaps perhaps they might be able to build something. But of course, PSV are pretty decent, as Galatasaray discovered. Yeah, uh, and who are another team. You know, it'll be interesting to watch now. I have to say, it's been super fun to see Mario Goetze smashing it already yeah I mean he's someone who's not used to being in the second round of the second qualifying round of the Champions League and we talk about interesting managers I mean Roger Smith uh, former hipster favourite Robert Roger Smith who was Fated as someone who would go the sort of Klopp and Tuchel way of of being a sort of uh, high pressing exciting manager Uh, things didn't quite work out for him at Leverkusen in the end he then went to China for a bit and now he's turned up again at uh, PSV very interesting to see how they go in, in Europe with, with Mario Goetze, of course. Now, we haven't got games of the week for you, as we would normally do towards the end of uh, On the Continent. Um, for obvious reasons, perhaps, there aren't a lot of games to choose from. But instead, we are going to turn to some of your questions that you've been sending us uh, on social media. Do remember that if you'd like to join in with any questions of your own at any point in the season, then it's at Football Ramble or if you prefer, at Lars Severston, at Andy Brassel, or at Dotton Adebayo. This goes straight to Lars's head. Um, how does Lars <laughs> see this season playing out for his number one and number two <laughs> boys? And you know, you know who they well, are, I don't. don't I have... Well, I'll tell you. Erdegaard <laughs> <laughs> and Orland, maybe uh, not in that... Uh, in that of uh, course, of yeah, course. Yeah. How, how I see the season turning off them. I mean, I, I think uh, um, uh, I think Erling Holland will keep scoring goals for you for Dortmund for Juventus for Dortmund. Uh, I'm I'm really intrigued to see how the managerial change in Dortmund uh, will will affect things for him. You know, Marco Rosa 
as uh, if if uh, he, if his Gladbach team is anything to go by, and you know the fact that his back background is from the Red Bull system, you certainly you expect him to play more of a pressing style. And Erling Holland, it's not that he's—I mean, he's not lazy by any means. The guys, you know, look at the guy. But but last season he was allowed to not spend a lot of energy chasing the ball all the time. Like he will occasionally go after it. But he doesn't press an awful lot. I mean, he, he he has been allowed to save himself, so he's ready. He has the energy to make those darts into the box and all those sort of sprints. Wonder if Marco Rosa probably will ask a little bit more of him off the ball. That wouldn't surprise me. It'll be interesting to see how he reacts to that. But of course, Rosa has worked with him before at Salzburg. I think that's probably a little bit of an advantage. And uh, yeah, he he's lost his chief creator and, and friend Jaden Sancho. No, I'm I'm still pretty confident it'll be another year of many many Erling Holland goals uh, before. Uh, a big transfer next summer, possibly. Martin Odegaard is really interesting because you would imagine that he would have more of a shot at Real Madrid now uh, since... Well, since frankly, if you look at Real Madrid, their squad, they need to phase in the younger players more now. It, it, they need to stop. It can't be that team that won the Champions League a bunch of times. Like, there's a generational shift that has to happen. And if you look at the young players in the squad, Odegaard is one of the ones who have the talent to potentially make it at Real Madrid. And now that Zidane is no longer there, Zidane clearly didn't fancy him, uh, you would think he would have more of a, more of a chance under, under Ancelotti. But then you see little sort of rumors surface that maybe he's not that happy and maybe the transfer to Arsenal could happen anyway. And just, I feel like that situation isn't entirely settled. But what he said in the Norwegian press a while back was that he, you know, he, he, he's a Real Madrid player and he, he sees himself playing for Real Madrid next season. But, but, but that one's not entirely set in stone right now, I don't think. Yeah, that question was from Brad, by the way. And just for the record, who is your number one and who's your number two? Uh, just out of geographical bias, Erling Haaland, uh, because he... <laughs> He's your number one. Grew up in the same town as me. You know, you can't beat that. Uh, This question is from Gautam, who says, um, wanted to ask all three of you, and I'll stay out of this one, what kind of football do you guys expect Nagelsmann to play at Bayern? And will it be fun to watch like it was under Flick? I'm hopeful. I I think, not to say that the job for Flick was easy because it was far from easy because he took over at a point where... Bayern were in a mess. I mean, Niko Kovac was fired after they lost 5-1 at Eintracht Frankfurt. But I think he had an advantage in that he'd already been working with the squad. He had a good relationship with them. The difficulty here for Nagelsmann is, especially after the summer of the Euros, his players are coming back in dribs and drabs. He's done his first couple of friendlies with basically a C team, you know, with Eric Maxim Chupamoting, and you know we love him on here, uh, the captain. Um, so I think it's going to be probably October, November until Bayern really hit their straps because he's someone with very strong philosophy on the game, but he's got to relate to the players and coach them into what he wants with really no time to do it. I think it's incredibly difficult. And also we know he likes to press and break, but way going back, going way back to when he was at Hoffenheim, in the last season and a half at Hoffenheim, he develops different ways of them playing. So they can press, they can sit off, they can counter and be a reactive team, or they can be on the front foot. Now, the countering, I don't think, will be nearly as necessary at Bayern. And if he's smart, he plays to the strengths of the team that are already there. I think maybe he doesn't play such a high defence as Flick. I think that's something that could be 
important. And I think for him to have Dio Pumacano, a player who gets the way he wants to play defensively in the team, that's super helpful. And it sounds weird for a player like that to come in and sort of lead the team. But I think as it's a relatively young team and because I suspect both Kimmich and Goretzka will be next to each other in midfield, I think he can do that. And I think he needs that. It's good to have someone who can transmit your ideas on the pitch. So it'll be a learning curve for Nagelsmann and for Upamecano. But I feel that working together, they'll be able to do that pretty well. And of course, so much is about getting more out of the existing players. Like as last was saying, Leroy Sané, who's disappointed so mm. far. Lars, you coming on that, off the back of that? No, that was good. Well, good <laughs> enough, good enough, good enough. I love that. Thank you very much. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) (laughs) it gets better (laughs) this is from Rob Uh, for both of you I guess again any new signings into the Premier League and also in other leagues to look out for I'm thinking not just big name signings more those hidden gems or what about any breakout youth players to keep an eye on last for so I thought Andy was very mischievous earlier, but I think he made a very good shout in saying that if you're a pretty big club and you're one of the clubs who are fortunate enough to have a bit of money now, you'd go to Barcelona and just go, no, 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 the, you, you can keep your Griezmanns and, and your Coutinho's, not having that. But, uh, but Ansu Fati and, and, <laughs> and uh, you know... Test him. See, see, forty million fans of Fatty. See, see what you say. I don't think that's forty that, million. Listen, oh. They really need the money, Andy. They do. They, they do. And I don't. Know, I don't think it'll happen. I'm just saying. If you're really being slightly mischievous, I if, thought if you that were, would be. If you were whispering in Barcelona ears, would you say? 40 million, you know, he's a youth product. It's pure profit. It's pure profit in the books. Uh, <laughs> Let me I mean, see how much uh, throw... Uh, I can make it 60 if you throw in Moriba. <laughs> <laughs> you see, he's wasted here not being a sport, sporting director. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if, if Rob was asking about signings that have already been made as as well. If, if, that's, if that's the case... Um, a couple that I'm really looking forward to to, to seeing. Um, at Watford, they've signed um, Imran Loser from uh, Nantes. Left foot, very, very creative. I think he's developing into an interesting player. And I think if you look at Watford signings, give or take Danny Rose, it feels as if a lot of it is angled towards uh, the future. So it's, it'd be interesting to see how he gets on, how much of a role he can take on in that team. So I really like him and I think he can become really good. I, I like um, at Norwich, a couple of their signings, Milot Rashica, who had a poor season last time around, would have got a move to a bigger club. He's been linked with Aston Villa last year, but I think he would have got a move to a, like a much bigger German club, perhaps, if it had gone a bit better for him last season. But there's so much talent in there. Um, winger who can play on either side, um, can score goals, take free kicks. And I real, really like as well uh, Pierre-Lise Müller, who has, has, has joined them from Nice. Midfielder, super industrious, um, very creative as, as, as well. So I really want to see how those guys fit in. Yeah, I like Norwich's window. Of course, they've got Billy Gilmore as well. Yeah, 
I should stress because the internet is the internet. I don't particularly think Barcelona will sell Ansu Fati for for forty or fifty million. I was just stirring the pot a little bit on a, on a, on a more serious. It's all right, they're, they're not sensitive fans. So I think no, they are no sensitive fans. <laughs> in the end, good lord, um, I'm intrigued to see how Franco Nieka gets on at Brentford, uh, who they a Nigerian midfielder they brought in from FC Midtjylland in Denmark. Uh, very energetic, uh, very feisty uh, midfielder who. Is physically capable can really run um, he's someone who they've, they've developed very well at, at Michelin and I think he'll add something off the ball to Brentford of course Brentford came up playing very sort of possession uh, focused football keep the ball very well I mean that's maybe a little bit harder for them to do in the Premier League in Onyeka they've added a midfielder who will press uh, off the ball give a lot of energy and, and, and power to that midfield uh, so uh, I hope he gets on well This was a Stack Production and part of the Acast Creative Network.